In September 2010, Bell Canada began an initiative called Let's Talk. And they did it, uh, well, they did it for marketing reasons, but they, they did it because of a concern that had been growing in the organization about the data around mental health issues that just wasn't being talked about either in informal or in formal environments. And so they launched a campaign that is now, this year was in its ninth year of raising awareness and raising money to promote destigmatization, to promote care, uh, to promote research and workplace safety around issues of mental health because of how prevalent the issues are in our culture. And to be perfectly frank, Bell Canada was absolutely right about the, the, the scope and the magnitude of the concern. Um, 2013 study out of the United States found that one in six Americans, so I mean imagine translating the numbers into Canadian numbers, I don't remember what the conversion rate is, but 1.6 Americans uh, were taking some sort of psychiatric medication on a regular basis. 12% of Americans taking antidepressants, 10% of Americans taking anti-anxiety medicine, and about 1.5% uh, of Americans taking antipsychotic medication. Those numbers are staggering. In Canada, uh, my friend Jordan Berta runs a podcast called The Unspoken Conversation. On the podcast, uh, they said that in Canada, more recent numbers say that one in five Canadians is affected by issues of mental health. One in five. So let's take a minute to think about what that means, right? Look, look up and down your row for a second. Two people on this side and two people on this side. That's how small the circle of mental health concern is in Canada. That's how far you have to travel to find somebody who struggles with mental health issues. And so here's the thing. Why don't we talk about it? I mean, there was a reason that Bell Canada called their campaign, Let's Talk. There's a reason that uh, Jordan called his podcast The Unspoken Conversation. Uh, it was to inspire conversation around these issues because of how desperate the need is. And the reason we don't talk about this issue or these issues, I mean, you, we're talking about basically everything from you know, depression and anti-anxiety to ADHD to OCD to bipolar to uh, even, you know, schizophrenia, the whole range of mental health issues. The reason we don't talk about them is because the way we stigmatize what it means to suffer from mental health concerns. Which is why I thought as I was processing this conversation, how we would have a conversation about mental health and faith, why I thought that one of the best places that we could start in the Bible looking at this conversation is with the story about Jesus that's found in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 9, starting at the very beginning where it says this. In John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, as he, Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So in the, in the context of the gospel, Jesus is just 
leaving the temple, probably through the south gate. And as he passes through the south gate of the temple, he finds a man sitting just outside the temple gate by the side of the road, and he's begging for money. Because in the ancient world, if you had a physical disability, um, you could not work. And the only way that you could support yourself and your family was from either the support of you know, family, friends, relatives, and so on, or you had to beg for money. And Jesus comes across this man by the side of the road, and he's begging for money. And the disciples see this man who's born with blindness. I, text doesn't say how they knew that. Maybe Jesus engaged him in a conversation. And the disciples' instinctive response is to ask the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born in this condition? They're playing into a common stigma in their own culture. That somebody born uh, with a disability such as blindness was somebody who was experiencing the consequences of sin. And so if this man had been born blind, then either this man or his parents had sinned. Now, it's an interesting question to ask. How a person could be born with a condition as the result of a sin that they had committed prior to being born? Well, in order to answer that question, some of the rabbis would say that it was possible for a fetus to sin in its mother's womb. Or other rabbis said that sometimes that fetuses could be guilty of the sins committed by uh, their parents while they were still in the mother's womb. At some rate, at any, at any rate, somehow there was sin in the life of this man or in the life of his parents that he was born in this condition. The rabbis, some of them used to say that when you see somebody who, has, who is blind, praise God for being a righteous judge who justly punishes sin. I used to think the question who sinned, this man or his parents, was sort of a naive, innocent question of curiosity. It's not. It's a deeply judgmental question of stigmatization. They are blaming and shaming this man for his physical condition. And I think with a great deal of sadness that that is exactly the condition that hangs on the conversation around mental health, both in our culture and our church. In our culture, we have this sort of disposition that we have adopted. The people who struggle with mental health concerns are somehow less than people who have undiagnosed, who, who don't struggle openly with mental health concerns. That those who are not clinically diagnosed, and I should say, by the way, at the front end of this conversation, that I am not diagnosed with uh, a mental illness of any kind. And so I have this conversation. I want to have it very carefully and very sensitively as an outsider looking in, having walked with loved ones and parishioners and family members and friends and so on through their own concerns. I just want to be open and upfront about the fact that, um, that I haven't been diagnosed with anything myself. Um, but we tend to consider people who have been diagnosed with mental health concerns as like somehow weak and unstable. We are, you know, strong and stable emotionally and and mentally, and they are like crazy and insane. In the church, it can be even worse. Because in the church, sometimes we layer on the issue of sin. 
And we say that people who struggle with mental illness of some form or another are actually bringing it upon themselves by the sin that they've committed in life. Some people would look at somebody struggling with anxiety and saying, you're sinning against the Lord because you're worrying. And Jesus says to trust him, stop sinning with your worry. Or look at, some people look at folks with frustration and say, well, that's just selfishness. If you stop being consumed with yourself, you know, you could be free from your depression. Or someone with ADHD, you just lack self-control. Sometimes we pile stigma onto the conversation by the way we use the, the language casually um, as a punchline for our own life circumstances, right? Did you see the traffic yesterday? It was insane. H.A. Happ got traded. Uh, H.A. Happ. J.A. Happ got traded from the Blue Jays. I'm so depressed. Right? Oh, no, don't stack my dishwasher. I'm really OCD about how we put things in there. No, you're not. And in fact, when we use language like that as a punchline, I talked with this last week with language about addiction. When we use language like that as a punchline, we strip people of their dignity. I think we. All of that kind of talk, I said this last week, should go into the same bin as you're retarded and that's gay. Like we just don't talk like that. We don't rob people of their dignity. Because there's no reason, and this is just true, there's no reason why there should be a stigma that hangs on conversations about mental health. Grant Mullen is a medical doctor from the area and a Christian who wrote a book called Emotionally Free. And Mullen says that there are three causes to mental illness. None of which should be stigmatized, really. He says, number one, there's like physical causes, chemical causes. Mental illness, in part, is a chemical imbalance in the brain that prevents our brains from functioning at peak performance. So none of our brains function at peak performance, but it's a chemical imbalance that interrupts brain function. He compares it to the mechanical failure of eyes that cause some of us to have to wear these beautiful things. Right? Nobody ever gets stigmatized because their eye is failing and they have to wear glasses. Well, I do by my wife because she knows these glasses aren't very strong and I don't really need them to see. I just like how I look in them. I need them to read. But other than me, nobody gets stigmatized for having to wear eyeglasses because it's just a mechanical failure of an organ in the body. Mullen says the second cause of mental illness is, a, is an emotional cause. He calls them personality injuries. That all of us have experiences in our lifetime that are negative, that are difficult, that are hurtful, whether, you know, inflicted on us intentionally or unintentionally, whether we know about them or not, that leave emotional scars on our soul that can be the cause of an onset of mental illness. Um, when my wife was much younger, uh, she blew out her knee bouncing on a trampoline. When she landed on the mat, a friend kicked her legs out from underneath her and just like shredded her ACL, blew her knee out. For, it was misdiagnosed and she lived without an ACL for years. She was unstable. She literally used to fall down the stairs because she could barely at times put weight on the one knee. Nobody stigmatized my wife for having an injury that somebody else inflicted on her. Mental illness, no different. Mullen says third, the third cause, it's physical, it's personality or emotional. Third cause is spiritual. That we live in a broken and fallen world 
that is filled with evil, with things that just shouldn't happen, that sometimes people of faith are, and people without faith are targeted by the enemy. Sometimes our mental illness can be caused or uh, made worse by sinful choices that we make. They can be destructive consequences of sinful choices. And even then shouldn't be stigmatized because we all make sinful choices and we all suffer the consequences. So the way I think about it is this. In 2007, my mom suddenly began to notice that she didn't communicate as well as she once did. She could know what she wanted to say, but her lips just wouldn't form the words, or she couldn't come up with the words, or she would try to say what she was going to say and her tongue would conspire against her and she would just utter gibberish. She literally, she thought she was having a bunch of mini strokes, but when she went in for the CAT scan, they discovered that she had a brain tumor called glioblastoma melanoma. It's genetically caused and it was sitting on the language center of her brain and it ended up taking her life a year later. The interesting thing is nobody ever judged my mom or blamed her or shamed her for the fact that her brain was not functioning at peak performance. I mean, maybe some people said that she wasn't healed because she lacked faith, but we know that that's just wrong, so we ignored them. The point is this, that there is nothing about somebody having mental health struggles in an ongoing or periodic way in their life that ought to cause anyone else ever to judge or blame or shame them because it is a perfectly natural part of what it means to be a human being in a fallen world where sometimes people get sick. And truth be told, according to the story in John chapter 9, Whatever ways in which we find ourselves, our bodies being broken in a world that has fallen, that is not ever intended to be the end of the story. In John chapter 9 verse 3, Jesus responds to the disciples. This is what he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus, first of all, debunks the stigmatization. He says, there's no reason to judge or blame or shame. Nobody's a sin. There's nothing wrong with this person. He says, this happens so that the works of God would be displayed in him. It almost sounds like Jesus is suggesting that God has done this to this man. So that God can put his powerful work on display. And I am absolutely convinced that that is not what Jesus is saying. The Bible says elsewhere, we're going to study it this fall in the book of James, that um, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. If what you're experiencing is not good and perfect, God didn't do it to you. Right? I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is another text that we're going to look at. Uh, in the message, but in 2 Corinthians 7, the apostle Paul is talking about his own experience. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Paul describes this very uncomfortable, undisclosed condition that he lived with in an ongoing way, day in and day out. And he says, this condition was such an, an affliction to me, but what does he call it? Does he call it a messenger from God? He doesn't. He calls it a messenger of Satan. The affliction is the product of evil, not what God is doing to him. God will use that affliction in Paul's life, it says, to keep him from being conceited. It'll, God will use that affliction to instill and to grow a sense of humility in Paul. But Paul does not blame God for his affliction. He says, this is a messenger of Satan in my life. 
I think Jesus would absolutely agree when it says in verse 3, so that the works of God might be displayed. That so that can mean for the purpose of God did this to him for the purpose of displaying his great works in this guy's life. But it can also be interpreted to mean with the result of that. This man, no one sinned that this man was born blind, but he was born blind and the result will be that God's majestic works will be put on display. God will intervene in a way that will blow your mind. And in the story, he does. In verse six, it says, after saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. In this man's story, the way the works of God were going to be put on display is by Jesus intervening in the man's life and actually curing him of this condition with which he was born, which is a, a remarkable thing. In the ancient world, curing blindness was, blindness was considered to be almost impossible in all cultures. Uh, in fact, and all the more difficult if the person was born with blindness. Um, in Jewish culture, the idea that a blind person could be made well was so remarkable that the prophets would say, if you see somebody healing the blind, you're looking at the Messiah. That's evidence that God's kingdom is coming through that person. That's what happens to this man. Jesus intervenes in his life and the power of God flows through Jesus into this man's life and God overcomes the power of, of the illness in the guy's life and sets him free. There's two things that I notice about the healing in the story. The first is that God is responsible for what happened in this man's life. That God was the source of healing. Jesus was the one <clears throat> who was interacting with the man, but Jesus says it's the works of God that will be put on display. The truth, beauty, and goodness of the love of God was put on display through Jesus, and it made this man who was born with blindness whole so that he could see. Grant Mullen says it only makes sense that if one of the causes of mental illness is a spiritual cause, that the, uh, the solution or the uh, inverting of mental illness into mental health is also going to be a spiritual solution, that God must be involved, that all healing comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. God is the one who is behind every form of wellness and wholeness that we experience. Yet what I want you to notice about this instance of healing is the way Jesus accomplishes it. Because what happens is Jesus puts mud on the guy's eyes and then tells him to go wash in the pool. And when the man goes to wash, he's made well. In this instance... Jesus doesn't directly make the man well. It is Jesus' action plus the man's action that results in the healing. Prior to Jesus coming along, the man sat every day at the temple gate begging for money, never got well. He could have even gone to the pool of Siloam and he would have never gotten well. Jesus comes along, he puts the mud on the man's eyes. But if the man doesn't go and wash like Jesus has instructed, he won't be well. 
If Jesus puts the mud on the guy's eyes and the guy says, that's gross, and he wipes it off and throws it on the ground, guess what? He remains blind for the rest of his life. It's Jesus' action plus the man's action that creates the wellness. And I think that's instructive for us in the conversation about mental illness and mental health. Because all healing, all restoration comes from God. But oftentimes, most of the time, it comes as we partner with what God is doing. So Grant Mullen would say, if one of the causes of mental illness is medical or chemical, it's a chemical imbalance, then it only makes sense that one of the solutions, part of the solution to mental illness is going to be a chemical solution, a medicinal solution. It's going to require psychiatric drugs. And I know it's hard for people, it's hard for us to take our medication and to stay on our medication. Probably for a variety of reasons. Probably because being on psychiatric medication is sort of admitting that we have a problem, which is uncomfortable. Um, probably in part because the side effects, I'm told, can be debilitating. Partly because of how they're stigmatized. Partly because perhaps people are saying, you know, you lack faith and you just got to trust God. Nonsense. If part of the cause of mental health issues is a chemical imbalance, then part of the solution has to be a chemical solution. But that's not the whole solution. If part of the cause of mental health struggles is emotional, is these sort of personality injuries, the emotional scars on our soul, then part of the solution has to be addressing the emotional side of the issue. In talk therapy, uh, in talking with friends or pastors, getting whatever scale of help you need in order to address the depth of the problems that exist. Includes other things that affect our emotional well-being. Things like diet and exercise and sleep and rest and uh, volunteering, serving other people. There's all sorts of things that factor into our emotional well-being that all have to be a part of the of the solution. And then if part of the cause of mental health struggles is spiritual, then part of the solution has to be spiritual as well. It has to be prayer. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, three times Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn of my flesh away from me. Paul was one who was devoted to crying out in prayer for God to intervene in the situation in his life. Whatever healing God is going to bring into our situation, I think most of the time it's going to be as we partner with what God is doing to experience a measure of healing uh, in our mental health. Now here's, here's the downside of choosing the story of Jesus and the man who was born blind. The downside is that Jesus completely restores the man. And that quite often doesn't happen uh, with our mental health struggles. It, it never happened actually with Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll read the rest of that passage. It says Paul says three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a lot of words uh, which all together just mean No. Paul says, please take this thing away from me. This thing that's tormenting me day in and day out. I can hardly live with it. And God's answer to Paul is no. 
I will not take it away from you. Instead, I will carry you through it. My grace will be enough to sustain you in the midst of it. And you're going to see in the midst of your weakness how strong I can be in your life. At the end of the day, God says no. And Paul's never healed from the thorn in his flesh. And I don't know why. I don't know why. And we can't know why. I don't know why my mother was not healed of her brain tumor and died at 64, never having met most of her grandchildren. I don't know why God did that. And I never will. That probably is one of the things that was a personality injury for me, left an emotional scar on my soul. And in particular, that my mom never got to be a grandparent to my children. And it's probably left an emotional scar on their souls, even though they don't even realize it happened, even though two of them weren't even born when it happened. And I don't know why. And we can't know why. But what I would want to draw out of that text, what I want to observe is this, that if you're tempted to judge and blame and shame yourself for the fact that God hasn't healed you of the mental health challenges that you face, you need to know that you are not to blame. That has nothing to do with whether you were spiritual enough, nothing to do whether God loves you or not. God didn't even heal Paul the greatest missionary in the history of the church. And whatever this thorn in the flesh was, by the way, it didn't stop him from becoming the greatest missionary in the history of the church. It's not a death sentence. And I know, I mean, R.E.M. used to sing this song back when I was in high school forever ago. You know, everybody hurts when the day is long and the night is yours alone and you're sure you've had enough. Don't give up because everybody hurts. And the whole point of the song is you're not the only one who's hurting, so keep going because all your friends' lives suck too. Like it's the most depressing form of encouragement ever. Like, yay, I guess I'm not alone, so I'll carry on. But the whole point is you're not alone. You're not alone in your struggle and you're not alone in your situation. And you cannot judge and shame and blame yourself if you're not healed because you're not alone in not being healed. God doesn't love you less. God does not withholding healing because he's mad at you about something. There are just times when God chooses to not restore. But that doesn't mean that even in those instances, the goodness, truth, and beauty of God's love doesn't shine through. See, in the story, the man who was born blind, he ends up getting hauled in front of the religious leaders in the synagogue and they want to find out, they want to basically accuse Jesus of sinning because he healed the man on the Sabbath. And if Jesus sins, he can't be the Messiah. And so they haul this guy in for this sort of informal trial. And they say, tell us, was the guy a sinner? And and the guy basically says, I don't know. He says, all I know is that um, I was blind before and now I'm not. So it seems like God's in his corner and maybe you should believe in him too. And they get all mad and they excommunicate him from the synagogue. And then Jesus goes to find him. And he says to the man, do you believe in me? 
And it says, I do believe, and he worships Jesus. And then it says this, Jesus said in chapter 9, verse 39, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. What Jesus is saying is, I came to demonstrate that not everybody who thinks they can spiritually see really can. Sometimes the people who think that they have perfect spiritual vision, those are actually the ones who are spiritually blind. And the ones who are convinced that they're spiritually blind are actually the ones who have perfect 2020 spiritual vision. Sometimes it's the ones who assume that they're spiritual and strong and mature. Those are the ones who are actually falling short and it's the ones who get looked down on who are actually doing better spiritually than anybody else. Sometimes those who struggle with mental health concerns, I believe, know God better, experience him more tangibly, trust him more fully and love him more deeply than those of us who don't because they've had a first hand encounter of how loving and trustworthy and reliable God can be as they depend on him every moment of every day for strength. This was Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians. God says, I'm not going to heal you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It doesn't make it easier it doesn't lift the, the pain of it. But Paul says, if this is what it takes to experience the power of God in my life for Jesus' sake, accomplishing Jesus' purposes in me and through me, then I will embrace this situation that I find myself in, throw myself in dependence on the mercy of God and say, God, let your strength and power flow through me. And it does. Do you know how I know? I know because of my friend Jordan who struggles with anxiety and started a podcast to have a conversation with the whole world about mental health. I know because of my friend John who battles depression and so he hiked the entire Bruce Trail in five 24-hour hikes to raise awareness and money for those who struggle with depression. I know because of my friend Sal. In 1999, before I knew him, Sal suffered a horrible accident, broke tons of bones in his body, um, and it put him in a coma for several months. When he emerged from the coma, the voices began. And over the years, the next decade, it got progressively worse and darker for Sal. His family completely ostracized him because Sal says, you know, in the Filipino culture that he grew up in, the stigma around mental illness was strong. They called him crazy and they wrote him off. He said his psychiatrist seemed like they were experimenting on him. He tried every drug in the market and none seemed to be working. It got deeper. He said there were periods of psychosis, periods where all they could do was lock him in a room in the hospital, pin him four corners to a bed. There was a time when it got so deep and so dark that Sal attempted to take his life. And that's when God broke through. 
And through the intervention of some people in our community who love Sal like family, for whom they are almost more important than family to Sal, they began to advocate for him and get him the help that he needed, the care of psychiatrists who actually got him on a path of recovery. Over the years, God reconciled Sal with his family. And Sal began to work in the Hamilton schizophrenic program, running uh, peer mentoring groups, talk therapy groups, recreation groups, volleyball, basketball, that kind of thing. He sits on the advisory board of the Hamilton Schizophrenia Program um, to advocate for patients with schizophrenia in Hamilton. And when Sal realized recently that 80% of the money in the program went to paying the advisors, he lobbied among the advisors to have them all play their role on a volunteer basis so 100% of the funds could go to the patients. And when the board heard about it, they tripled the funding to the program so the advisors could be paid. Sal gives talks at McMaster University about schizophrenia, educating the educators about, the, about his experience and about the program that he's involved with. And in 2016, Sal won the Leona Wallace Award, I think it's called, for those who advocate for mental health awareness and wellness in Hamilton. Sal says there are still dark days there are times when he can feel the depression setting and there are times when he checks himself into the hospital and then runs the programs during the day. Um, but he looks back on his journey of how God has used him in the midst of his own struggle with mental health and says, well, all that he sees is that God has been with him every step of the way. That he trusts God 100% with his life because of the miracles and the prayers that he's seen answered as he's thrown himself in utter dependence on God because Sal told me this week that he knows in the, in the core of his being that though at times his mind is weak, it's then that God is strong. Maybe you're not there yet, and that's okay. There's no reason to blame or shame or judge yourself uh, because you're still on the journey. My only point is to say there's hope. That even in the midst of the struggle, even as God chooses sometimes to not fully heal and bring restoration in the lives of people who struggle with mental health concerns, he is still strong and at work doing in you and through you, putting the goodness, truth, and beauty of his love on display in and through your life in ways that only God can if you choose to lean into him. Let's pray together. Father, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our brains are a marvel probably the most amazing thing in the universe. But the most amazing thing in the universe is the way that you live in those who've put their faith in you and the ways that you put your truth, the truth, beauty, and goodness of your love on display of the lives of those who will learn to lean fully
into you. Would you teach us, God, all of us, whatever the nature of our struggle, would you teach all of us to lean into you for Christ's sake so that you can do in and through us what you want to do for Jesus' sake in the world. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.